the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined on this dreary Tuesday morning or afternoon. It's, 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 after, it's afternoon. Yeah, what am I doing? The show starts at two o'clock, man. Uh, yeah, it's morning on the West Coast, at least. Uh, did still, you read your? Did you read the rundown today? I'm reading off the rundown. Oh, thank you. He didn't get past what time the show starts. Did you know yeah. there's a promo? We're giving away some Raptors we tickets at the end of the segment. Tickets. So right. tune in. Tune in. No Adam Silver, but we got gold today. We got golden Ooh. ticket. Mm. That's my contribution for segment one. Yeah. Go ahead, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm joined by co-host Alex Wong, Blake Murphy. How are you guys doing? I'm good. We're good, man. I just talked to you. Yeah. It's ugly outside. Uh, God, fun. Should I host? <laughs> you, you, you might need to host. Okay, man. I got it, man. But go ahead. Yeah. Small talk. Yeah. Small I, talk. I don't know. The in-season tournament continues tonight. Obviously, yeah, it's right. uh, it should be a fun matchup. Yeah. Uh, I Have we about... seen the Magic Court yet? Or is no. this the first time? No, this is the debut okay. of the Magic Court. They started out uh, with consecutive road games in the in-season tournament. Okay. So. okay. Um, Tough road. Tough can you road win game. on yeah. a rainy Tuesday and in Orlando? Because this is kind of what it's like right now. Well, it won't be mm-hmm. rainy in Orlando, I don't think. Yeah. So they have that in their favor. <laughs> we'll just sit, <laughs> just out, this, two, just sit right. out this whole segment. Yeah, yeah. restart the show. Um, <laughs> anyway, so today at sportsite.ca, I wrote about the, uh, the similarities between these teams and what they're building. Yeah. Um, also, like Orlando is kind of the site. This is something Michael Grange wrote about yesterday. The site of where everything kind of fell apart completely last year. It was they lost back to back in Orlando. Yes. Oh. It was part of a six game losing streak. It was the peak of the like rumblings about something going on with Scotty and there being a rift in the locker room and things like that. Um, on top of which, the Magic are pretty good. They're the only team in the league that are better on defense and worse on offense than the Raptors. Let's go. So they're kind More of like this Raptors. is going to be like a rock fight for sure. But it's also I'll ask you guys this: if the Raptors did not win tonight, it would be mathematically implausible for them to be a wild card team in the in-season tournament. You'd have to go, yeah. you'd have to win two, you'd have to win by big margins, you'd have to get a ton of luck in other pools. Is tonight a must-win game? You're saying Absolutely. you're saying Kevin Garnett, anything is plausible? Yeah. Because um, I don't want to say it's impossible because there is there are there some are ways bizarre there. scenarios where... Tonight, yes. tonight is a must-win, and it's going to kind of take the hype off the in-season tournament for me if they're like pretty much eliminated. Yeah, I mean, it turns Friday's visit from Damar and the Bulls into just a game. Yeah. So the in-season tournament is working because, like, uh, a random Tuesday Raptors magic game, I don't know how much I'm excited about tonight. Yeah, I want the Raptors to get this win more than usual. Are, should you're we so dust- excited you're going to see it from the, the Sportsnet work party. <laughs> Yo, I'm a company man, man. Why are you giving me a hard time for being a company <laughs> man? Happy 25th to Sportsnet. That's correct. Man. Should we dust off the Kyle Lowryism from 2016 that they got to treat this like a game seven? That was the year, by the way, they won two seven-game series and lost in six. Yes. 20 games. I believe eight of them Kyle Lowry said they had to treat like a game seven. <laughs> he didn't treat game one against Miami like no, a game but seven. But they're all a game seven. Uh, is Are we treating tonight like a game seven, Will? Guys, it's like a game six. You have both like sat in the booth six. with me. All right. Raptors yeah. Pistons on the weekend was yeah. a game seven for me. Okay. You know, there, there's just there's no chill. No, listen, like, yeah, you, you need to win tonight to keep any hopes alive. It, it really, if they had actually beaten the Celtics on last Friday, oh, it'd be hype. we would be really, really hyped for this scenario. Hype. But regardless, I think it's just be a good matchup. And um, yeah, I mean, look, we'll, we'll definitely talk a lot about Raptors magic. Uh, in the meantime, though, there are some actual Raptors news items. So you don't want to set this up for me. 
we'll talk more about the Magic later on. Jesse Mermis, assistant coach of the oh, Orlando Magic, yeah. is on with us in the Once second again, segment. How, how deep into Sorry, the rundown man. did you uh, read today? Eric no, Green will join us at 3 o'clock. <laughs> no, don't tell him. Oh, I, wanted, I wanted him to tee up the rest of the show. All right. I bet you he doesn't even know what's happening in no, the second I, I hour. I know what's happening. All and right. then we'll preview the game properly in, you know, the last segment as we always do. Do, do you remember do Between the Lines? you know that segment? Yeah, I do know that segment. That's on its way. It's my favorite segment. That's I hope cap. you're giving away tickets today. It is <laughs> like yeah. red font and highlighted yellow in the dock. You better not. Uh, we literally put it in gold for yeah, you. Yeah, we're nice. about 17 nice. minutes from uh, giving away those <laughs> tickets. But, Will, what you're trying to set up is there is Raptor news that is not related to the product on the court. Mm. In fact, the Knicks would argue it is so tangential to the basketball side of the NBA that they don't want federal judges to throw their lawsuit against the Raptors out of court. We heard the other week that the Raptors had uh, responded and basically said, this is a waste of the court's time. The NBA should handle it. Today, the Knicks come back, or the other day, the Knicks come back, but we now have details about it via ESPN's Baxter Holmes, via our pal Fred Katz uh, as well, that the Knicks have replied. They are seeking more than $10 million in damages as part of this. Um, and that's part of their argument for why the NBA shouldn't handle this because in the NBA constitution, you can only go up to 10 million mm. in terms of damages. So they want to go outside of that. They want more than 10 million. They think Adam Silver and Larry Tannenbaum, because Tannenbaum is the chair of the board, um, there's a conflict of interest there since Tannenbaum's technically Silver's boss that way and Silver would be seeing over this. Um, and then there's also some James Dolan kicking his feet and screaming and throwing a tantrum. Yeah. Will, where do you want to start with this one? I imagine you have a lot of thoughts that we've mentioned before and amount to the Knicks are going to Knicks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the the secondary part that you mentioned there with, with uh, James Dolan kicking his feet, like this is, is very clear, you know. Um, you know, he also has stepped down fr from attending the Board of Governors. That does <laughs> not mean that the Knicks will not vote on behalf of their franchise. Mm. Someone else will do it. But he's like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. It's clear that the league doesn't value my opinion, and therefore I'm just going to not participate in this anymore. He also, among you know the other things that were reported in Baxter Holmes' piece, uh, it was also put in there that um, you know James Dolan was the only one who voted against the sale of the Hornets uh, over from Michael Jordan to this new group that mm. is going to own the Hornets. Uh, he was the only one who voted against the WNBA's expansion into San Francisco. What does that even have to do with James Dolan? I have no idea. Or the Knicks. No, they're spike votes. And then he's also like, yeah, I'm also not a big fan of revenue sharing. Guess what? I don't want to pay my bills either. Yeah, this yeah. is one we've heard for a long time. That as a big market team, James Dolan. By right. the way, James Dolan just kind of like was born into this empire. Oh, yeah, he, course, yeah. he did not, you know, bootstrap it from... No. Nothing all the way up, um, well, but no thinks that because the Knicks are in wealth? the biggest oh. market and because they are, if not the highest revenue team, second to the Lakers, I, I can't remember the exact rankings last time we saw them, but his argument is basically like revenue sharing is too extreme. We shouldn't have to float these small market franchises. Mm. Um, you know, no acknowledgement of the fact that the league's biggest revenue generator is a national TV deal that requires lots of teams because yeah. you need the well, games to sell the, the product. He would be the first to be against some, some elements of socialism. So I yeah. think uh, this is just par for the course. Yeah. No, but seriously, though, he, he's just like, it reveals to you that he is really trying to spite the league and, and trying to stick a finger in the eye of the Raptors, of mm -hmm. the league. And I think it just describes his general pattern. You know, I think yeah. the Raptors clearly don't take this that seriously because they still employ Azeltan. 
the, and the Noah key Lewis and Darko. Yeah, they're just around the team all the time. Well, I shouldn't see Nazlatan, but I mean, I, I think he works in like a more backroom setting, maybe. Yeah, I, I haven't physically seen him, but we never sure. like Masai. I think confirmed all of the reporting has been that he's still yeah. Yeah, so the just, easiest thing for the Raptors to have done would be to have let him go at least, right? It's like no, no offense to his although job. Although I do position. wonder then if you let him go, if that's more evidence for the Knicks okay, to be like, look, sure. if they did nothing wrong, why would they let him go? Where did where did where are they accusing um, Azutam of taking the data again? Yes, uh, it's where and, where is it? The data was it on uh, in synergy? Synergy. So he's synergy Mamba. Uh, Azotam is synergy yeah. mom. Um, by the way, yeah. Woj had a piece, or Baxter Holmes had a piece yeah. at, at the bottom of his uh, reporting today, which was mostly on this Dolan side, that it is, and, and we knew this, but it's interesting to see it as the out sentence in a really well-reported national story, mm-hmm. that it's generally accepted around the NBA that everyone who leaves a job does this and takes their own like their own video, yeah. you know, their own compilations, their their own work. Because again, as we've talked about a bunch, the stuff that's on Synergy is not that deep. And if you, if an NBA team was relying only on Synergy or relying heavily on Synergy as other than like, anything other than like a video organizing tool, they are way behind. Like that data is just that information is yeah. not at the level that other NBA teams have. It's not that big a deal. It's yeah. like if you break up with somebody and, and then your ex is like, hey, actually, I don't want you to use the, the playlist, our Spotify playlist anymore. Yeah. yeah that was that was, was that, our thing. Is that something that happened to you personally or is this no. a, an analogy? So I, I have not I've not I've not had the playlist thing happen, yeah. but yeah. I have had the like, I'm gonna change my password because you're messing up my algorithm yeah. by okay, that, sharing my that's Spotify different. account. That's different. I've had a, a never mind. Um <laughs> So, yeah, no, I think They're this like, is all. Give me back my cassette tapes. I think it's pretty. Actually, like, give me my home. God damn it. Oh, uh, my God. God. I have been James Dolan. Um, no, I think, um, you know, Masai said on Media Day, because that was the first question that he was asked when he came to the podium. And he's like, oh, there's only been one time that, you know, an NBA team has sued another NBA team. And I think it goes to your point, Blake, like, like. You know, it's generally just like accepted that like, oh, when an employee leaves, goes goes to another team, they're going to take some of this data with them. And clearly James Dolan, um, you know, wants to just kind of push this to the limit in terms of making it, you know, as difficult as possible. Um, which in that he wants to annoy Larry Tannenbaum. He wants to annoy Masai. He wants to annoy Adam Silver. Which in that regard, I respect. Um, But um, yeah, I I don't, I mean, ultimately, I don't think this is going to end up going anywhere. Like, I don't think the Knicks are going to, get this money that they're asking for. Well, here's the thing. If they had actually gone in terms of the purpose of what would help the Knicks as a franchise. Yeah. If you go through the league and Adam Silver rules strongly in favor of the Knicks. You can get a draft pick or something. You can get a draft pick. Yeah. You can get some money on top of the draft picks as well. But he wants to take this into the court specifically only to get money out of this. Yeah. Which I don't think really benefits the Knicks. Yeah. Well, he's just trying to be the most annoying as possible to the Raptors, basically. Yeah, but I also think that it's like for the league as a whole, like, you know, you don't want these sort of in-house disputes brought up in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a really public way where it's like it just makes the league look a little bit worse. Yeah, like it's not quite a, a slap lawsuit. And some states have anti-slap legislation, which mm. is basically is like that? it's um, I forget the acronym, but it's it's basically. No, you, this is Darko? No, this guy got an acronym. Yeah, no, it, uh, slap, S-L-A-P-P. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, basically yeah. like wizard. you are like they're, they're saying, for example, the X lawsuit against Media Matters. They filed it in Texas because they don't have anti-slap legislation. Basically, it's a frivolous lawsuit that okay, is intended okay. to be right. like, don't even participate. Yeah. Like you don't have the legal legs to do this. You don't want 
So this isn't quite that, but it's definitely a PR play. Mm. It's a, hey, NBA, hey, Adam Silver, you don't want this in the news constantly. You don't want this hanging over mm. games and the season. Mm. Um, and we are in every filing going to try to drag the integrity <laughs> of the league and the integrity of the Raptors through the mud because that's that's the yeah. the key point here, I think, for Dolan. is it, Because you're right, Will. If this was about the basketball impact, I mean, first of all, you're you're probably going to have a tough time making the case that the damages are more than $10 million once a court knows what synergy actually is. But if this was purely a basketball case, you'd be asking for draft picks as like draft picks to make you whole. Hey, they hurt us from a basketball perspective. Make us whole. Give us a second. Give us a couple seconds. Yeah. This is just about Dolan's pocketbook. So it follows a, a big pattern of that. And, and all of this other stuff, well, I'm not going to vote anymore. I'm going to send general counsel on my yeah. behalf. I'm going to vote no on other things that are otherwise unanimous. So you can't say they're unanimously approved yeah. Yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that. All of this is just aimed at Dolan spiting Adam Silver and, and kind of like a lot of the quotes in here, a lot of the stuff in the filing is questioning the league's integrity too. Mm, yeah, of like, yeah. hey, I no longer believe in the board. I no longer want to participate. I no longer have faith in Adam Silver as yeah, a yeah. steward of all 30 owners because of X, Y, and Z. It's it's a PR play. Yeah, well, but, but here's the problem though. Um, no one's taking this seriously. Um, like, like Dolan might think this is like a good PR thing um, for him and he's trying to embarrass the league and stuff. But like, absolutely nobody is taking this seriously like nobody's sitting here and thinking the integrity of the nba has been compromised no i think really not one one smart person there yeah. there would maybe be a tiny bit of eyebrows raised that hey larry tannenbaum is technically adam silver's boss through the lead the way the league's constitution so can adam operates. Silver not make any decisions about the raptors then that's ridiculous right exactly that's absolutely ridiculous also like they can the other owners could just be like Yo, Larry, step down, and we'll put another chair. Like it's he's still one of thirty. Yeah. He just isn't Larry actually stepping down too. Um, uh, I don't know about, about that, that or the timeline. Year, I don't think I don't know about a timeline for that. that. Um, anyway, this is all nonsense. And yes, J the James Dolan takeaway. I don't mean that the claims are necessarily nonsense, but the entire process is nonsense. And I think uh, Jason Conception tweeted it best earlier today when he's like all all that this James Dolan stuff of like I'm not participating anymore the board doesn't represent me etc basically it comes down to everyone has been telling you for 25 years they don't like you and don't want to hear from you yeah. and you're now for the wrong reasons and accidentally being like fine I'll go away I'll give everyone what they want and you mm -hmm. won't hear from James Dolan anymore yeah I mean look listen like it's uh it's it's not a flattering thing but I also do wonder in terms of like how this affects going forward, um, employees in the NBA changing teams. Like, the NBA largely employs the same people, and they will go from franchise to franchise if they need to, um, mm. and maybe escalate roles or whatever. But if this is the case, then, like, it's going to probably put, a, a, definitely everyone on alert. It's definitely one of those things. It's like you don't want to, you know, cross this boundary for essentially everyone. we got a little bit more careful about data safety or whatever. But I think, too, it's just like if, if the Knicks are going to act in this way, like, you know, how's that going to affect Knicks employees who want to look to make the next move in their career? Yeah. Well, they're literally under surveillance at the arena. So. <laughs> well, that too. So, so I, mean, I don't look, think this listen, actually affects I, it. I just hope it doesn't hurt the Raptors. Uh, yeah, for all, the, for all the Azotams out there, be careful when you move jobs. You that's know? that's what actually what I'm worried I mean, about. I'm worried about the next Azotam. And that's part of what the Raptors said in their counterfiling was that like, hey, this is you know, not only is this frivolous and silly, yeah. but also like this has the potential to affect other people's ability to take new jobs and stuff like it's anti-competitive it's anti-competition and it's like anti you know labor freedom damn get garrett temple on the line man um <laughs> garrett temple might be 
on the line. I don't know, man. <laughs> they need to play Usher. You remind me when they do Discovery in court or something. Oh, I man. want this. I want this court case to play out with the Raptors game ops in the background. We still have to uh, get Fred Katz in here and do a mock trial. <laughs> yeah, we still have okay. to do that. All right. You got so. the athletic login. I got the briefcase. Yeah. Yeah, you got. Maybe, the- maybe some of us still use their synergy login from when they were at the athletic. No, Who please, knows? Please, Who please knows? Don't. Please don't please become don't the do that, don't man. become the next Azotan. Please, please. Uh, the New York um, Times will become litigious over Rogers. <laughs> litigious now. Mamba, James Dolan. <laughs> no. uh, all right, what's next? What's next on this uh, well, grab bag? I, I also wanted to check in a little bit on the 905 because oh I have yet to like fully tap into like the whole game yet. But oh and six. They're all in six. Yeah. They're the worst team in what? the league right now, record-wise. I think the Ignite are 0-5. Um, so I have to ask the 905 specialist, Blake Murphy, like, what's going on? Yeah, how's, well, the, how's the 06 Mafia doing? Yeah, right? it's bad. Um, they have only even been competitive in one of these games. Okay. It's pretty rough. But here's right. what it comes down to is Javon Friedman-Liberty has played one game. Okay. Ron Harper Jr. has played two games. Marquise Noel has missed two games. Justice Winslow hasn't played yet. On Saturday... They had to sign two emergency players who, mm. because they didn't have enough, they only had six healthy players. Okay. Uh, right. They only had six players available. And this is without the, the Raptors even having anyone up. Mm-hmm. Like Ron Harper Jr. played uh, on Sunday, but this was Saturday when he could have still been with the team. So they only had six players. What they had to do, um, they signed a guy named Robert Johnson and another guy named oh Isaac Johnson. And basically that game was in Greensboro. What And the process is they have to get doctors like a doctor's note saying, hey, these guys aren't available. We only have six players available. Then the G League says, hey, you can add guys to the roster, but they have to be players who are already in the G League player pool and either have already taken the league physical or have time to take the physical. So Robert Johnson was someone they had an eye on generally as like a potential player pool addition later. He's actually staying with the team. They cut Keith Williams after. um, So Robert Johnson can stay with them. They like him a little bit better. Um, But Isaac Johnson had to take an Uber from Charlotte to Greensboro mm. the day of the game and, like, make it just in time so the 905 would the have Uber enough players to play. Wow. So that they That's would have crazy. enough players to play. Okay. Because, like, as much as I joke about it sometimes, like, they can't just, like, tag one yeah, of us yeah, of in course, if yeah. the game's in Mississauga. You have to be in the player pool, paperwork yeah, filed, sure. physicals passed, and stuff like that. So that's kind of how it's been for them. They've only had three players out of 13 on that roster be available for every game. Man. That's how rough it's been. Now, okay. look, yeah. they're not... We've seen G League teams in Toronto and other places survive this before, right? Like Nick Nurse loves talking about how this is what it looks like. But when you don't have your five best players for like three games in a row, mm. nobody's really going to be able to do that. They haven't been able to get okay. into a flow. Um, you know, the point guard play is so important to organizing a, a G League team. And Marquise Noel has like not been, he's been up and down. Yeah. And one of the games he played, he left at like halftime with a groin thing. So they just haven't had bodies. It's been, it's been pretty rough. And, and I have trouble evaluating it until like, again, Javon Freeman Liberty's played one game. Ron Opportunity's mm. played two games. Justice Winslow hasn't played yet. It's really hard to evaluate what's going on when they're signing emergency, they're Uber-eating emergency players. Yeah. That's, I mean, that situation sounds really dire. And and I do agree with you. It is hard to make any judgments on that group or anybody around the group. Like, am I going to say, well, McCurr Maker's been, you know, he's underwhelmed a little bit? Or am I going to think, well, the center has had nobody to give him post-entry passes or run pick and roll with? Yeah. Moji's the only guy who's, like, really played well. Yeah. I saw on Chris Boucher's stories. Really? Just walks. 
Sorry. This guy uh, watching G League on yeah. IG stories. Oh, I mean, I mean, listen, like it's it's been it's been difficult. It really has been difficult to to, to watch it from afar. Or I guess in this case, not watch it from afar. But yeah. um, yeah. Wow. Damn. That's too. That's that's too bad. It's rough. Now they don't play again until Saturday, so they got a little bit of time to get healthy here. Like I, okay. I don't think right. like Ron Harper played on on yesterday, so he's close. Um, Javon Freeman Liberty's close. I don't think the Marquise Noel one is too long term. Uh, they just traded for Kobe Simmons, if you remember him from Charlotte, and a couple co- cups of coffee around the league. He hasn't signed in yet, but they have his rights now. Uh, whenever he's ready to go, so um, hopefully more bodies coming. But it's it's been ugly so far. Yeah. Here's the thing, though, with the G League. Mm. If anyone doesn't know this, they run kind of a split season, yes, like we've talked do. about yeah. with the in-season tournament. So you could start the season like 0 and 14, mm. and then the schedule resets after the G League showcase. Right. And, oh, and you get to run a, re- a 34 or 36 game regular season. I forget it's 34 and 16 or 36 and And then 14. what counts for the playoffs? The second one. Oh, what? Yeah. The first yeah. the first chunk of the season gets you into the G League Showcase tournament, oh, okay. right? Like everyone plays in the G League Showcase. It's in Orlando this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I owe Orlando an apology because I said it was in Vegas because it's almost uh, always in Vegas. Mm. It's in Orlando this year. But yeah, the schedule kind of resets after 14 or 16 games. So if you're the 905, you're probably already looking at this 0-6 start. Yeah, and be it's like, a bit let, of a wash. Let's yeah. build for the longer part of the regular season that, that gets going in late December. The 905 can go 0 for 82, and Blake Murphy will look at you like this gravy. Kobe yeah. Simmons. Uh, they, only play, they only Mamba. play 50. They, yeah, yeah, I, I, they yeah. only play 50 games, but uh, yes, they can go 0 and 82. All right. Uh, <laughs> let, do you want to talk about a team that might actually win and give some uh, tickets away for them? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, yeah, to celebrate the launch of the in-season tournament this year, the Toronto Raptors have announced the Raptors Golden Ticket Contest. The Golden Ticket Contest will give a lucky fan the chance to win Raptors tickets for life. To get fans excited about this awesome contest, we'll be giving away one of the brand new gold Raptors City Edition uniforms in today's show. To enter for your chance to win this jersey, text Golden ticket. That's two words. Golden and ticket to five ninety five ninety. Again, that's golden ticket to five ninety five ninety. For details around how you can enter the golden ticket ch- contest to win tickets for life, visit raptors.com or follow the Raptors on Instagram and X, aka Twitter. Um, you can watch tonight's Raptors in season tournament matchup against the Orlando Magic with coverage beginning at six thirty Eastern on Sportsnet and Sportsnet One. Stream it on Sportsnet Plus or listen to the game on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And uh, yeah, I'll be on the post-game show, obviously. No, you're on the pre-game show. Well, I'm on both. Oh. Because I do the post-game show anyway. Oh, the post-game oh, radio. But you're yes. on pre-game okay. television for I'm the on first pre-game time television this year. So for and, anyone uh, wants to check that out. Radio, so. yeah. oh, mom, tune in to watch yeah. Will pre So the pre-game show starts at 6.30 on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 1. Your segment will probably be about 6.45 or 6.50. But yeah, you'll, yeah. Be, you'll be helping preview the game. So let's at Blake for giving me like all the advice on this because yeah. it's the first time I will be doing, I think, one of these pregame. Yeah, you look good so. today, brother. Oh, wow, thank you. I mean, you look good most days. So okay. I want to just, you I appreciate know, you. I entered for golden ticket. Yeah. yeah so. you th- also, I thought we were. <laughs> it's sorry. so funny because my last text of five ninety five ninety was Siakam swirl. <laughs> oh, you're trying to win the McDonald's. Uh, I thought oh, we were yeah. gi- I, when I saw golden ticket. I thought we were giving away tickets, not a jersey, but a jersey school too. Yeah, but it's also a chance. I guess this yeah. is like a contest to win. Man, season Raptors tickets, for, tickets life. for life is kind of crazy, man. Yeah. What's the what's the cash payout option? Yo, whoever wins, <laughs> oh, uh, can, can we get their email as well? Let's give them two tickets to the sport media game on Saturday. Yeah. Too. Let's put two more on that. All, yeah. right. <laughs> let's, all right. Let's take a break and let's get to know the magic a little bit and reminisce about when the 905 were good with Jesse Marmis. Is that cool with you guys? Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. Text golden ticket to 590-590. Okay, we're going to take that break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, Will Lou, a.k.a. Willy Wonka, uh, giving away golden ticket stuff before the break. Uh, to be clear, you can text golden ticket to 590-590 to win a jersey, uh, the new gold Raptor City Edition uniform. And as part of this golden ticket contest, that is a larger contest the Raptors have been doing on social media, at games, and here through us, um, you get put in for a chance to win Raptors tickets for life. This particular giveaway just for a gold city edition uniform. I shouldn't say just, that's a pretty good get. Uh, You could wear it to an in-season tournament game on Friday. Perhaps the Raptors will continue the in-season tournament tonight against the Orlando magic at seven o'clock on Sportsnet. Uh, I got the chance the other day to talk at length with Jesse Mermis, who is the lead assistant under Jamal Mosley with the Orlando Magic. He is formerly of the Toronto Raptors. He was a player development coach here in Toronto for years and then became the first ever head coach of Raptors 905. Got to catch up with him earlier this week. That This is uh, that interview with Jesse Mermis, Magic Assistant Joined Coach. Joined now by Magic Assistant Coach Jesse Mermis. Jesse, what's going on, man? This is uh, this is quite the office setup. Out, out overlooking the court, you got some some good shelf space there. You're living. Oh, man, this is a beautiful facility. I'm very fortunate to be a part of it. Uh, is that is that in Orlando or is that out where your G League team is? No, this is in Orlando. This is literally like uh, basically right across the street from Amway Center. Sweet. And, and it's state of the art and has every bell and whistle you could think of. Yeah, you only would have got like a, a quick taste of the OVO Athletic Center when you were in Toronto, right? Like that just would, I think that opened in the February before you left. Yeah, I missed it. Yeah. Damn. Um, okay, well, I want to talk about your magic and obviously Raptors are playing the magic on Tuesday so we can uh, get to know that team a little bit. But I wanted to go through some of your career for Raptors fans who either don't know or don't remember or do remember and just want to hear what you've been up to uh, since you were the 905 head coach. So yes you started coaching at like 20 though right like like at your the high school you had gone to yes yeah no i started coaching early even when um i was uh, i was smart enough to realize uh at five nine that uh (laughs) i needed to be able to coach as well so even during when i was playing even playing junior college basketball i was always coaching in the summer um at camps and, um, you know, lower level, like middle school and high school kids. So I've, I've been coaching a really long time because I was coaching while I was playing. Um, but, yeah, I officially started, like, um, at 20. Man, so you, you're, what, 41 now? 43. Okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. So you've been coaching more than half your life at this point. Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, okay, so how did it happen that, you know, I, I know you were coaching at the high school level, coaching at the JUCO level, and then um, you end up with the Denver Nuggets when Masai is in that front office. How did that kind of start? How did you get your foot in the door on the NBA side? Yeah, so um, it was my dream as a as a kid in Tucson. It was my dream to work at the University of Arizona um, under Lute Olsen. And I was able to uh, make that happen. Uh, which was an incredible experience. But the guy that opened up the position for me had gone on to the Denver Nuggets to work for George Carl. 
um, which allowed me the opportunity to work at the University of Arizona. Then he was getting promoted and that opened up a spot in Denver um, as a video coordinator. And I immediately jumped on that and was able to, to get my foot in the door um, with the Nuggets. So you did a couple years with the Nuggets. I think you did a quick stop in Houston. Um, can you walk me through how you came about joining the Raptors organization? I know Masai had moved over that May, and then you became one of Dwayne Casey's new assistants that summer, I think, right? Yeah, so um, obviously um, getting to work with Masai in Denver, um, he was familiar with my work. And um, when I went to Houston, it was a pretty big jump for me because I was going as like, I was basically in charge of the player development in Houston. And, you know, timing wise, it was amazing because they made the trade um, for James Harden. So he comes in and I'm in charge of player development. And uh, we ended up having a great year. And um, when Masai takes Toronto, you know, he basically was like, hey, Dwayne, this, you know, this guy's, um, up and coming, really good with getting the players better. I think would be a great fit for Demar and Kyle, and um, helping those guys kind of, um, you know, get to an All Star level. And so I met with Dwayne. It was amazing. I had some great recommendations of people that he had worked with, and then it, it all fell into place. So you're with the Raptors for a couple seasons, and then 2015 rolls around. And they're adding a G League team. And at this point, I think the Raptors, I think Raptors 905 were the 17th team, if I'm remembering right now. They're, they're obviously 31. Everyone except Phoenix has one. There's the Ignite. There's the Mexico City Capitanes. But back as recently as 2015, this was not as well-established uh, of a thing. What were the conversations like when you, you first had the idea that maybe you were going to be the first coach of the 905 and kind of, did you pitch it to them? Did they pitch it to you? How, how did that all work? Yeah, no, I, it's, it's funny because I remember Eric Kareen at the time, like asking me why I would do that. And <laughs> um, I, I felt like it was such an honor um, to be the first uh, head coach in a franchise's history and start at the bottom um, where, you know, you have an expansion draft. Um, obviously, I'm passionate about player development. And it was just a special time for the franchise. You know, um, we had this uh, really amazing run where, you know, they were getting ready to blow it up. And, you know, um, I was working with Damar and Kyle and they became all-stars and we had this great run. And so there was a lot of momentum. And I just really believed in what we were doing in Toronto. And, you know, to be able to be the first head coach and general manager, you know, assistant GM with Dan Tolsman, who's also from my hometown. It was just everything lined up and it was an exciting opportunity that I thought was a privilege and an honor to do. Other than having to deal with me all the time, right? <laughs> so that, that, that was bonus points. Yeah. That was like the icing on the cake. Uh, that was the season I was there like almost every game. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. So um, obviously that year, you guys are still figuring some stuff out on the fly, right? And I know there were some successes, you know, Axel Tupon and Greg Smith get the NBA promotion from you guys. I think Ronald Roberts was set to get one, but then he had the knee issues come up. Um, so on the, because I do want to refresh people on the Bruno stuff. Norm was down there, DeLon, Bebe. But on the, you know, how you'd evaluate that season overall, um, how big was it to be able to get a couple guys to the NBA in Axel's case or back to the NBA in the case of Greg Smith? 
it was it was such an amazing experience um and it was a huge success um because uh you know Masai and, and Bali and Dan had given me a directive of you know this is about building a culture establishing something and it's not about wins and losses and we're going to you know play Bruno we're going to get him better we're going to get Delon and, and Norman better and get them experience and and I really like took that to heart and I really put those guys's development and what was best for the Raptors uh, in the forefront. And it was an amazing opportunity because uh, we we start out rocky as we should as an expansion team. Um, but we had an amazing run in the second half of the season. And it was like, you know, I think we won, ended up at that time setting a, a, an expansion team record in wins. And the the biggest part of that was Norman got so much better and was able to be an impact player in the playoffs which was like, you know, that was, you know, I was just really proud of that because we had put so much into that. And for him to have an impact in that in the playoffs um, kind of made it all worth it. Yeah. And for, for people who are uh, unclear of exactly how this timeline lines up, you're saying you're you mean he had an impact in the NBA playoffs, not the G League playoffs, comes down with you guys for eight games and then. That Indiana series, he swings it with the big steal and the dunk yes. in game five. And, like, yeah, it goes from playing with you guys for, for a half dozen or, or ten games to, yeah, making a real impact on, on the Raptors' uh, playoff run. So when that 905 season ended, did you I, – I can't remember. You would have rejoined the Raptors for the playoffs and, like, been around? Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I was there. I was uh, watching, like, a proud papa. I was hoping, you know, um, Norman, DeLon, and those guys were going to get some run. So, um, obviously, that, like, like you said off the top there, that year was a lot about Bruno because the year prior, he'd been a rookie. He played a couple of games, um, but the Raptors didn't have an affiliate, obviously. And so, this was kind of his rookie season. Um, you and I have talked about that a lot for stories that I've written, but um, now a little removed, now that he's like a really good international player. Um, what do you remember about that that kind of first full season with Bruno with the 905? Yeah, I, I just remember, um, you know, it, it, it gave me a, a, a lot of perspective on um, expectations and just like, especially like international guys that are coming to the NBA and the pressures of it and really like being able to be removed and be in the G League with him on a daily basis and, and kind of see where he was at maturity wise and just this like cultural shock and having all these pressures on him uh, because the Raptors, we were, you know, we were in such a great place as an organization and, you know, uh, his length and his, his talent obviously was, you know, enticing for everybody in the city. And so being able to live that process and live it with this young person who, you know, is English is a second language, you know, and they're not great at it. And it, it was just a really great learning experience for Bruno. Um, to get the the patience and the support and be able to play through mistakes. And it was a great learning experience for me just to be able to kind of zoom out and see like how hard it is for these guys and how to coach to try to get the best out of them and not beat them down. 
So I, I'm sure that's been really valuable for you as you've moved on, because after that successful season, you leave us, you go join the Lakers. Um, you know, Lakers have a big free agency every summer. This this summer, it's Jesse Mermis. Um, and then <laughs> you, did, you did a little time with the Kings, and now you've been with Orlando a couple seasons. Um, looking back, I, I know 905 is primarily the experience you have as a head coach. How has that helped you as you've moved on to other organizations back in a, an elite assistant role? Yeah, it, it has really helped me um, become a better assistant coach. Um, and just uh, having those head coaching reps is, an, is just incredible for your lens. When you're viewing these games in real time and you know what the head coach is having to de de decide the decisions and what he's going through and to be able to know when to – I remember um, poor Case, like, you know, I was as a young whippersnapper assistant, first time on the front of the bench. I remember I was, you know, offering tons of suggestions all the time. And I had so much passion. And when you become a head coach, you realize sometimes less is more and, and how to balance it out. And so having that experience has been incredible, not only for just helping the players and having that perspective of what they're going through but also helping uh, my boss, you know, it kind of filter some of the stuff that is coming at them because it's such a difficult position. Um, and it does seem like that's that's working so far in Orlando with, with you and Jamal Mosley. Um, so you had the the couple of seasons with the Lakers, with, with the Kings under Luke Walton. Um, this is season three with the Magic. Um, how, how has it been, you know, kind of... Uh, moving up the the bench i guess is the best way to phrase it where you're, you're kind of jamal's like lead assistant now right yes how has that been for you kind of like and for listeners who maybe don't know how does that role change if you're second row or you're the third chair on the first row or now you're the lead assistant um what what is that growth and how does that job change yeah yeah it's a great question you know um i'm in charge of the offense here um, but also as the lead assistant, like, you know, I'm wearing two hats, um, and, you know, over the, the years of experience that I've had, you know, you, this, this NBA thing is like, you're always learning and growing and there's always more to learn. And it's such a, it's such an amazing league because of the talent of the players. And so you as a coach have to be constantly looking for ways to improve and giving your team a competitive advantage. And part of that is, is, you know, filling in the gaps of the head coach and what he needs to support him. And, you know, at times when uh, he might be uh, agitated with officials and we're not getting a good call, that might be providing some, some calm and, you know, and some wisdom and, and really a steady voice. Um, and then at times where the team is, you know, uh, needs a little kick in the butt, you, you know, you're a second line of defense to be able to to bark at those guys to get them going. So it doesn't always have to be his voice, um, you know, being the hammer. And so, you know, teams uh, throughout an 82 game season, they need a lot of different avenues to keep it together, to keep them motivated, to keep them, you know, playing the right way. And so. I just love that process. And every day it's a, it's a daily learning process every day. It's a, it's a chance to make an impact in, in every game. 
it's different. You know, you guys were up 40 the other night. <laughs> we were up 40 last night. It's like coaching in that game is a totally different deal than trying to claw your way back. It's like how you maintain the lead. How do you close it out? When do you sub your starters? There's so many things that are going on all the time. Man, and I'd imagine with this Magic team, obviously you guys are 8-5 and five this year. It's no longer what we'd call, you know, a rebuilding team necessarily. But you having the player development background, you having the 905 background, you guys have had five lottery picks in the last three years. And I think four of them are like regularly in the rotation for you guys. Um, how much has that player development background ha helped as you work in Franz and Suggs and Paolo and now uh, Anthony Black, who, who's playing a bunch for you guys? I, I know Jet hasn't played a ton, but like Anthony Black's starting for you guys now as a rookie lottery pick. Uh, I'd imagine you're, you're leaning on that background pretty heavy. Yeah, it's uh, I've been so fortunate, um, so fortunate to work with uh, the players that I've uh, luckily been involved with over my run. Um, and, you know, obviously, uh, I, I was fortunate in Denver and Houston with those guys, but it really, really started with Damar and Kyle in that process. Like, um, and those are some of my, you know, closest friends now and peers. They've been in so long. Um, we've all been doing it together now. And so, you know, being able to be a part of these guys' careers and, you know, because of the LA experience, you know, I've got to work with Randall. I got to work with, Brandon Ingram, I've got, you know, and then you go to SAC, I had Tyrese and De'Aaron Fox and like all these budding stars, um, I've gotten to, to be able to be a part of their process. And so it's like, now when you come and you have all these draft picks, you're leaning on your experiences with all these other players who have gone on to have success. And that helps you have more tools in your belt to help Paulo Franz and Jalen and these guys, you know? so. It's like, it's, it, it, you're just stacking, uh, you're stacking experience. And as long as you, you know, um, your heart is in the right place and you're giving it great effort and passion, like you're going to only be able to help these guys achieve their dreams and successes and, and do it within the structure of the team and what's best for the team. And so I'm constantly relaying stories from my time in Toronto with Damar and Kyle to Paulo all the time, you know, and um, Damar is such an incredible ambassador to the game and, and, and a loyal ambassador, you know, he's a friend of mine. And so I was able to get him and Paulo together, you know, and, and get them to spend some time. And, and so he could drop some wisdom on him, you know, of what this thing is like. And, you know, he's obviously had his, his trials and tribulations. And that helps these young guys like know that, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel and they're, you know, as long as they're working extremely hard and they're staying positive, you know, the sky's the limit. So you guys are eight and five this year. It doesn't feel like another year where you'll, where you'll have lottery picks. Um, what, what is clicked for you guys? I know the defense ranks number one right now. Um, uh, that, that ranking says a lot, but you know, Big picture, what has kind of clicked or coalesced for you guys that after a couple down years, this feels like a, a year where you guys are potentially back in the mix here? Well, I think, you know, um, obviously Jeff worked with Masai in, um, in Toronto and I was there with both of them and they have very similar um, 
ideas as far as like they're very progressive they're very cutting edge as far as getting size and versatility and you can see that in both rosters and so we have a, a similar style um and i think you know uh jeff and john and, and ap have done such a great job of getting us that size you know when you roll out um the Paulos and Franz who are able to play like point guards, you know, we've played both of those players at the point, you know, similar to a Scotty. And so it's like, when you're able to do that in today's NBA, um, you have such an advantage and, and the game is constantly changing and evolving and having size and versatility is just a premium. And, you know, both of our franchises that have done a great job of getting you know, that size out there on the floor, and which gives us the ability to really do a lot of different things um, from an offensive standpoint and a defensive standpoint. And so you're seeing that play out um, with both of us. And, and so it's just, uh, it's an exciting time to be a part of the NBA because it's just the, 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 the game is evolving so fast that you, you have to keep up, you have to stay ahead of it. You have to try to find competitive advantage and um, right now, you know, having Paulo and Franz, you know, on that on that wing like that is just it's really working for us because teams have to make decisions and it creates a problem. And, you know, we need to develop uh, the players as far as shooting goes. And that's part of the process. You know, they're going to become better shooters the, because they're hard workers and because Coach Moses set a culture of work. And so. You know, as long as we can continue to do what we're doing, you know, we should be fine. Yeah, Tuesday night, probably not the best three-point percentage in league history when uh, you guys and the Raptors go head-to-head. -head. Both, <laughs> both teams shoot about 33% on threes. Um, but before I let you go here, uh, it is Raptors magic Tuesday night. I know you don't want to give away too much, but if you are kind of in charge of the offense, I, I've I imagine you've taken a pretty good look at the Raptors' defense. Um, what do you make of this team so far in their first year under Darko Ryakovic? Scotty Barnes obviously taking a step forward. Um, what are your impressions from afar? Yeah, um, I like what they're doing. They obviously um, they got their mojo back as far as like um, chemistry wise. Their assist numbers are incredible, which I think is. Um, you know, when your assist numbers are incredible, it means that your chemistry is great and guys are really bought in and and, and you're going to get some consistent effort on the defensive end. And so, um, you know, you can tell that the vibes are good and, you know, they're, they're flying around, they're sharing the basketball, um, you know, they have the size, you know, at those positions. I mean, you're rolling out Scotty Barnes as your two guard. You know, it's just like, it's difficult to match up and we're actually probably the one team that does match up with them <laughs> um, with the size that we have. And so, uh, yeah, it should be a fun test. They're very similar styles, very, uh, you know, similar rosters. So it's, it should be a good battle. And this is uh, the first home game for you guys in the in-season tournament. So uh, how do you feel about the, the court that you guys have? Have you got to see it in person yet even? I, I have not seen it. No, okay. I've not seen it. We're excited. You know, our guys, they're young and, and they they love that type of stuff. So I expect them to, to be excited to to be able to put on a show. All right. Well, I uh, hope the season continues going well for you guys, except for Tuesday. Um, Jesse, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. This was a lot of fun to catch up. Yeah. Thank you so much, Blake. I really appreciate it. Jesse Marmis, assistant coach of the Orlando Magic.
the first head coach in Raptors 905 history. And we'll get a look at that new magic court tonight. It's uh, kind of like a gray on either side with dark blue and mm. gold down the middle. We'll see how cool. that uh, how that looks. Yeah. Well, I mean, first off, great interview. Um, I thought Jesse brought a lot of energy. It was like one of those guys that just like is smiling no matter what he's saying. It could be something more critical. It could be something more optimistic. But just bringing a positive energy. Um, I, I had two takeaways listening to the interview that I wanted to ask you before we go to the next break. Um, yeah, just number one, like, hearing his story about how he got into the league, what, what's your general advice for if somebody wants to work for the NBA? Man, I don't, I don't know. I've never worked in the NBA, so I, know, I don't know. I know. But you, you know but, a lot of NBA people. Yeah, I mean, know? look. Like, what, what are the traits of success? The there? biggest thing is you're going to have to put passion over, you know, income and security and things like that. Like, he was coaching. Oh. He was an assistant coach at high schools in junior colleges and yeah. stuff like that. Um, got his foot in the door in the NBA. Yes, through connections he made at, at Arizona. So you need to be able to work connections as well. Of course. But also, like, yeah, the video coordinator role is not a... Not a glamorous one, not a super high paid one. You're going to have to work your way up like that. And now some people get in just via the connections. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There, there are a lot of ways in, but they all require putting passion, you know, kind of first. Yeah, it is a lot easier when you're somebody's son, uh, 90% <laughs> of the time. And then my other takeaway is just um, you asked him for his favorite Bruno story, coaching Bruno. What's your favorite Bruno story covering Bruno? So the year that they won the championship, um, he was pouting on the sideline after Pascal looked him off uh, for a kickout. And Pascal said something to him that I can't repeat on the air. And Bruno, like, didn't come back in that game. Oh, but the really? next game was, like, the game of Bruno's life. Yes, and I it's remember. still, like the best game he's ever played at any level other than the game against Giannis. Yeah, I think he had like the World Cup. seven threes or something like that. Yeah, and he was everywhere. So it was, it was in like the finals. Yeah, Pascal the... just, you know, some guys need the carrot, some guys need the stick, and Pascal yeah. lit a fire under him. I didn't know Pascal had that in him. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, Pascal and Fred were yeah. like down there to like win a championship yeah. and then get back to business with a playoff Raptor team. Yeah, man. Honestly, those are those are really, really good times for the 905. Hopefully we can get back there as a franchise. But anyway, we're going to take a break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, Blake makes a reunion with a former podcast host. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I've had my coffee. I'm here, and uh, I'm joined by Blake Murphy, co-host, who had a great interview with Jesse Mervis of the Orlando Magic. And now we are joined on the line by Eric Kareen of The Athletic. Eric, man, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you guys? Well, you know, we're so pumped for this uh, in-season tournament game against Orlando tonight. At seven, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm actually. You really sound sarcastic, but you are pumped up. No, I'm really looking forward to this, man. Orlando has a, a, a lot of like rotation pieces that um, have some young promise. You know, Goga Pataze is now in the mix. You know, yeah. you guys excited to see Goga Pataze? I no? am, legitimately. I know you're a huge <laughs> Magic fan. Yeah, Eric. I don't know if you heard the story yet, but on opening night when the Raptors played the Timberwolves, um, we sit in the 600 level of the booth. There's like a radio booth. There's like five seats in there. And so me and Alex are coming upstairs. We're ready to, you know, watch the game and all that kind of stuff. And we notice the door to the booth is locked. And eventually we, like, look around the, one of the other booths that we look inside and Blake's just in there by himself watching something on his laptop. We're like, Blake, you know, open the door for us. Blake comes over, opens the door for us. I get in and he's watching. Uh, it was, 
I think Houston versus Orlando in the room in the dark. So as somebody who has worked with Blake a long time, have you had similar experiences with Blake Murphy locking the I door, mean, I turning out the lights to watch uh, obscure teams? I don't know why you're making fun of that. That's like two playoff teams playing oh, each other. You're, you're like, right. What's the what's 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 wrong with that? No, I think the context was at that time. At that time, what the door locked. It was a little strange. Blake is. I, I mean, Blake just knows what's coming. He can mm. see the future, and he knew this was going to be a battle of one of uh, or two of the most uh, dynamic young cores in the NBA. Uh, I, I think you got to start to give him some credit. Yeah, it's been vindicated. Look yeah. at those assist per game leaderboards and assist the turnover leaderboards. Uh, yeah, Fred Van Fleet looking looking all right in Houston. Mm -hmm. And the Orlando Magic, Eric, as you pointed out on Twitter earlier, the only team in the league that is better than the Raptors at defense and worse than them at offense. They looked at them and they said, hey, anything you can do, we can do better and worse uh, at the same time. Let's start with that then. We were going to do some Knicks stuff, but we're we're on the Magic we'll topic. To let's let's start there. The Magic are the only team in the league that's kind of out Raptorsing the Raptors. They have length everywhere. Like eight of their 12 rotation players when healthy are six, eight or bigger. Like they're massive and they're better than Raptors on defense and they're worse at them on offense. Um, Eric, what is your read on that? And I guess, you know, the... I'm sure you find it interesting as well that Jeff Weltman left the Raptors organization for the Orlando Magic and have basically at this point through different ways, but built a parallel experiment to the Raptors. Yeah, it's interesting because like the same with the Raptors. I don't know how much of it was like an architect, an architectural choice and how much of it just happened by a sort of let's collect the best assets we can find and, and we'll build a philosophy around that saying that you know they have two guys Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner who uh who certainly fit that Raptors mold uh that sort of long playmaking forward uh role and uh what ends up happening with the magic is probably how they end up figuring out what happens in the backcourt uh and you know it's I think the Raptors situation is more complicated because of you know free agency and Pascal Siakam's age compared to Scotty Barnes but it's a similar thing of like well what is the backcourt going to look like when Scotty Barnes is 24 or 25 or 26 and not 21 uh and the same goes for for the magic so i think you know i don't know how much of it is just Weltman and Masa Weltman and Masai Ujiri coming up and believing in the same basketball principles, although I'm sure there's some of it. It just, it is very interesting. Uh, and I, I can't think of two teams that are probably less equipped to make a trade with one another than, <laughs> than these two. Yeah, seriously. Um, you know Masai would want Chume Okiki, though. Now that he's, at, he's <laughs> out of sure. the rotation, he, he'd want Chume. I mean, listen, if you're out of the rotation, it, it's especially for this team that's already playing like 10 guys with some injuries as well, then then there's some real issues there. But he is he is talented. There There is definitely a case for his minutes. Um, Eric, I wanted to ask you, so if you wanted to, like for this style of team build where you have two playmaking wings on, on both the Raptors and both Orlando, um, and then you have some more traditional centers at, you know, protecting the rim, playing some pick and roll with, what's the archetype of guard that should go with that, that, that can really help... Um, amplify or even carry the offense at times? Because I think typically offense is the issue for these taller teams, not defense. Yeah, I mean, like shooting is obviously 
such an amplifying factor and a complementary factor to these types of players. And you can see how much trouble the Raptors are having without a whole lot of it uh, in the half court. And you look at Orlando's numbers and it's it's not difficult to come to the same conclusion. So shooting is a, is a big part, but so does, you know, somebody who doesn't necessarily need the ball as much, but what he catches it can get up and go. And so like, if Dennis Schroeder was a higher volume shooter and could hit, uh, you know, 38% of his threes, well, first of all, that he'd probably be close to an all-star, but second of all, uh, that would be a, a very sort of similar player. I, I think like the best version of Jalen Suggs is that, but we haven't seen nearly the shooting, but that's somebody who doesn't necessarily need the ball in his hands as much. Uh, and can still be an effective winning player. Uh, so, yeah, you want somebody who can put pressure defensively and offensively can, you know, po poses enough of a threat either with shooting or speed and preferably both to be able to uh, take advantage of those kick-up passes that come and keep the defense scrambling. So to boil their philosophy down to, I'm going to be reductionist here, but basically the idea seems to be that if you can develop a 6'9 forward with playmaking skill and who can be an offensive hub, the value of that type of player is so outsized relative to everything else in the league that it makes filling the other things in easier. Like it's, it's, it's more difficult to find one of those guys than it is to find a guard who compliments them if they hit. And hey, if we have to take some bumps and the offense doesn't look great while we figure that out, you know, uh, San Antonio is doing some similar things where they're not putting Wemby in the best positions right now, but that's in part because they're trying to figure out, you know, hey, can Jeremy Sohan do this? Can Devin Vassell do that? Can Kelvin Johnson do this? It's not about optimizing right now. Um, big picture though, Eric, are, do you believe in the general idea that let's say this works out, you know, 85th, 90th percentile outcome, that the value of a playmaking offensive hub with that size is significant enough relative to other types of players to, to justify kind of this multi-year search and build to, to create one. I, I mean, assuming it works, sure. <laughs> like that, that's the wild card <laughs> in everything. And every path is... As, as we like to remind people, uh, unlikely to produce a championship. So if that's all you're going by, then no. But like, I, I think part of it and the unsaid thing here is that it's so valuable because it's defensively valuable. Like a lot of those players at that size can give you so much more versatility uh, that you're able to do more and you're able to play a more switch-heavy scheme if that's what you want to do. You're able to you know, cheat a little more and recover if that's what you want to do. Uh, and it just allows you so much more on the other end, which of course become, is important throughout the year, but becomes often incredibly important in playoff series when you need that sort of uh, diverse set of, of play options uh, and playing styles to, uh, to get through Four series, like you know, having playing big and then playing small and, and everything in between, uh, that is so important. And having a number of those players is sort of a prerequisite to being able to do that because you know they're not gonna be played off the floor on, on defensively. So I think that's a big part of it. I think like all things being equal, those are the most valuable types of players in the league, but 
you know, like anything else, it comes with real, real challenges in terms of fit, in terms of player development uh, and all of that. Yeah, it is funny watching these two teams because they, they really do have similar needs. Like they do need a, hopefully a, a rim protecting, but maybe uh, floor spacing five. I think maybe Orlando is a little bit closer to that. Um, although not, I think Wendell Carter's out of the lineup tonight. But yeah, regardless. He, he's been out for a while. Um, yeah, but Goga has healthy. like fit in, like he doesn't check the spacing box. He, no, he hasn't hit no. a three all year. But yeah, that that is something because like Toronto with, you know, what are the limitations of a Barnes Siakam front court? Well, it's not so much what they can do, but you add Jakob Pertle to that and the spacing. You had a great piece on this at The Athletic late last week about Jakob Pertle's maybe good player, bad fit because of how he exacerbates those spacing issues. Same kind of thing with Orlando. Now, Paolo Bancaro is ahead of Franz and Scotty and Pascal is a three-point shooter right now, so maybe that helps alleviate it. But generally, yeah, you're probably going to need you know, there aren't very many of these guys, but like a Miles Turner-ish guy as the center who can, you know, pick and pop and protect the rim a little bit. Yeah, and the guard aspect's interesting too because I don't think the answer long-term for both franchises at point guard for either Orlando or Toronto is actually currently on Orlando or Toronto. No, and Orlando's prioritized defense at those positions rather than thinking, hey, we need an organizer, we need scoring. a shooter. Yeah, like... They just hate scoring. Like, Anthony Black is starting now, and it's like, he's yeah. not there no. offensively yet. Like, he can he can bounce, and he can finish around the rim and stuff like that, but mostly he's there because he's 6'7 at the point of attack. He's very, very long. So yeah. they're kind of, I, I guess, you know, like Eric said, some of this is just who's available to you in the draft who's available to you in free agency but they've kind of been like yeah don't reach for fit yet we're not there yet yeah no it's interesting um like you wanted to go through your concern in this. oh yeah so yes eric and i used to co-host raptors reasonable podcast together and one of our favorite Although bits apparently now it's raptors reductionists yeah uh, based I mean, on your comment earlier i do be reducing <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, so oh, the concern goodness. index for anyone who doesn't know is basically here's something I've noticed. It obviously skews toward the negative given it's called concern index and given Eric Kareen is the guest, we're going to skew pessimistic. Um, but basically I'll give you guys an issue. You guys give me a, a one to five on how concerned you are about it. Five is basically it needs serious addressing immediately. One is you don't care. And you can go to a zero if you think it absolutely should not. Like I shouldn't even have brought it up. Like, what are you talking about? Blake, we, we, Settled? Let's do this. All right, Eric Green. Is the first question uh, my cat walking across the screen? Because uh, that's currently at a 4.5. Oh, uh, no, that'd be welcome. That would be yeah. welcome, okay. Eric, if you showed well, us your cat is yourself. I, I think I've dissuaded her for now, but uh, wow. she she is uh, pesky, like like the former Raptors' super aggressive defense uh, <laughs> turnovers. Uh, turnovers at any cost. That's All a, right. That's a Nick Nurse-like uh, <laughs> Coach the cat. <laughs> yeah, the the entire goal is havoc. The outcome doesn't yeah, matter, just yeah, havoc. Yeah. Um, okay, before your cat interrupts, let I was let's start with a goofy one. Um, I was gonna start you with a goofy WWE one, but let's go with a goofy NBA one. The New York Knicks continue to press this lawsuit. They have requested the courts take it out of the hands of the NBA, which means hey, you can't get punished a draft pick by like a federal judge uh but you can get punished for more money eric as this continues to drag on as we get more updates your concern level with the knicks lawsuit against the toronto raptors so i guess the question i obviously i can't answer a question just straightforwardly is like who am i concerned for from the raptors yes. perspective um i i think it's like a three I think the news that broke today via ESPN that James Dolan basically 
is no longer taking part in MBA meetings and isn't in the Board of Governors uh, anymore and is now sending his counsel, that shows you what a wild card this guy is. And that, that's something we sort of know. Uh, if, if you've watched any uh, straight JD and the Straight Shot videos, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but like I, before the season, I was sort of convinced that the NBA would make this go away somehow in some way. But if, if James Dolan really doesn't care even more than usual about the NBA, then there's a possibility this ends up in court, which I would have told you, which I would have been shocked at at the beginning of the season. Saying that, it's like, it's money. So from like a competitive standpoint, I'm not really concerned, but from a, oh, this is going to be annoying and take our resources, takes more resources than we'd like, uh, there is a bit of a concern. So yeah, like, you know, 3.25. All right. Wow. Well, very so specific. specific. Yeah. yeah. To uh, two significant digits. Uh, will, I, I will reframe this for you and ask your concern level, not with the outcome of the lawsuit, but as we hear details about it or heard details about it, just your overall concern level with what this says about how the Raptors are operating. Now, this could be as uh, a one if you think the Knicks are like completely making up yeah. to a uh, five, like, hey, this is a really sloppy shop kind of thing. Uh, where do you land on just kind of the details and what it says about the Raptors? Yeah, I mean, from everything that's been published uh, in, in the suit and just judging off that alone, I would say probably like a four. Okay. Like you could have done this. It's pretty high. You, I mean, this was an avoidable scenario. That's the thing, too. If the Raptors do ultimately get punished for this, it's something that they'll kick themselves because you could have made this hiring and it could have been done in a way where you avoided all of this. Um, now, of course, it's easier to say that in hindsight, especially if that is the industry standard is coaches move from place to place. Jesse Mervis wants to go from the Lakers to the Orlando Magic. No problem. He wants to take some synergy files with him. No problem. That's some video files. Like, it's, it's okay, you know, but... Um, in, in any sense, I think that uh, moving forward, this will probably, well, I, hopefully it does change how they sort of move on this front, only because it, it is avoidable. It, even if it is something that, like, the whole league is sloppy, overall, I guess the whole league can avoid this, you know? They so. need to get back to lasagna, moving in silence. Uh, yeah, sure. Let uh, her go. Uh, okay. Great Let's reference. take it to on the court. You know, scenario plays out. Raptors get fined, you know, $10 million. They can't spend in the luxury tax because of that. And, hey, they can't go out and sign an extra shooter because, Eric, the Raptors are shooting 33.6% on three-pointers this year. Um, you look at individually – Grady Dick is probably the only guy who's having like an outlier bad performance outside of what we'd maybe expect from them individually. Uh, that mark is fourth to last in the entire NBA. It is the year 2023, almost 2024, and the Toronto Raptors cannot hit threes at a modern level. What is your concern level with that part of this team? Uh, for the sake of this year's team, like pretty much a 4.5, I would say. Uh, it was easy to identify that as being one of the biggest issues holding the team back. Uh, I know the fan base was, to say the least, split on Fred Van Vliet. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm not necessarily somebody who's going to be shouting about them not bringing him back, given what the contractual situation ended up being. But having somebody out there who is respected in the very least uh, as a guy who can hit a big shot like that, that was important for Pascal Siakam. It would be extremely important for Scotty Barnes' growth as as a playmaker now. Like, there's still 
like there's still been some encouraging stuff without that, but I think it's certainly on a team that isn't overwhelming with sort of like half court dynamism or or speed or or just like quick decision making and they're trying to coach that up uh it's really hard to implement a system that involves lots of passing and lots of movement when the whole middle of the floor is pretty much blocked off. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like yeah nobody's down, reacting right? to your movement because they're not worried about <laughs> yeah. your shooting. Well, the Pistons were. The, the, the Pistons were treating the Raptors. Anyway. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and and then their star player said, basically, we're not a serious team. Afterwards. And then they lost so... <laughs> to a Jokic and Murray-less Nuggets team last night. It was close, though. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, like, Long-term, I mean, it's obviously something they need to address, but if you're hoping this team is better than sort of the play-in team that we kind of was general consensus, I'd say, if like even a bit optimistic, uh, that is going to be one of, if not the biggest thing that holds them back from doing it. Will, this is almost the exact same three-point percentage they had last year when they became the first team in the modern three-point era to finish 500 while shooting that poorly on three. So they've shown they can make it work just barely, Mm. uh, but your concern level with the lack of three-point shooting on this year's version of the team. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, look, I I agree with Eric on that front. Like, it it, it is a really big concern, so I would say four, but um, I I guess I'm a little bit optim, like, I'm feeling optimistic with some of the three-point improvement by some of the players. Like, I think Dennis is shooting threes better than I expected when the Raptors signed him. he had some cold stretches, but overall, I think he's actually shot catch and shoot threes well enough. Um, and then Scotty has made a big three-point jump, mm-hmm. which I think is I'm finding really encouraging. So I think that's actually masking things like Gary getting off to a slow start, Grady really starting to to struggle from three as a rookie. Um, you know, Pascal obviously falling off a cliff from the three-point perspective. So, you know, I I, I do feel happy at least that two of the starting five is, is performing better than I expected. From three. Yeah, so Schroeder comes in right now at 34.8%. Like you said, the catch and shoot numbers are a little better than that. Um, Gary Trent has actually nudged up to 37% oh, now, yeah. so <laughs> quietly he's right. kind of back within his career range. Um, Eric, like I mentioned, the only player really underperforming what we might expect is Grady Dick, who came in with a great shooting reputation, great projections if you look at the type of threes he was taking in college. He's shooting 23.7% so far. This is, you know, I'm going to answer this and say long-term, my concern level here is like 1.5. Like, I don't think it's an issue. I think he's catching up to the speed of the game and the length of closeouts and things like that. But Eric, you're concerned that, you know, for this year, that Grady doesn't seem to be super comfortable just yet. Um, You know, he's taking 6.8 per 36, which is third on the team. I would have expected that to be higher probably. Um, Eric, your concern index with Grady Dick for just this year's window. I like that Will's previous answer was pretty much, look, I didn't expect these things to be good. And if they keep on being good and then the bad stuff becomes good. Uh, they can be almost know, average the, shooting the three. Yeah, You don't yeah, think that's what yeah, Darko's yeah. telling them? Come on. Yeah, gotta be like, optimistic. Everybody just, everybody just becomes their best selves and, and this team's going to be awesome. Okay. Um, yeah, Grady Dick, uh, I, I would put it at, sort of at a two. And what has me more concerned than the shooting, I, I think, is that over the last four or five games, I've haven't seen as many of those sort of just energy off the ball plays, whether it's keeping an offensive rebound alive or, or like sort of a nice 
you know, what he, what he is run off the line, him making a gr- good, quick decision uh, and really getting to into the paint and creating the next play, which is obviously huge for how uh, Darko Ryakovich wants this team to play, both in the short, but especially the long term. And, and assuming he finds his stroke, you know, at, at some point will be huge for him as a player. And so uh, his overall play, I think, has, even though the shooting, like, does it has it hasn't really been there but i think his overall play has dipped a bit lately and like really lately like last week and a half maybe um so that's why i'd have it a bit higher you'd like to see those things that you know he was doing beforehand to stay stable uh while the shot comes uh while while we wait for the shot but it's not a large level of concern it's more than likely a player getting used to a more demanding schedule and certainly getting used to, you know, just tougher, more physical basketball. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm going to probably say a three. I I feel like I'm not misremembering this, right? But didn't Bobby say at the time of the draft that there, they had some hope that Grady would be an immediate contributor? Yeah, I believe so. And, and like, look, it's not like we drafted Bruno. And he we got was in the two rotation years by the second game of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which makes sense. Like, the Raptors definitely need shooting, and, and you bring Grady in, and he had a great shooting record. I'm not concerned long term because I I don't think there's enough of a sample to be like making any judgments on any rookies long term just based on, you know, one month of their career. Um, but my concern is at three mostly because of the idea that like, if he can't be an elite three point shooter, then I don't really know what else he's going to bring to the game. And so this is the most important thing. It'd be like if I can't come in here and, and do po- radio for some reason then what is my value to Sportsnet? Like, it really would make me worry a lot. Now, of course, like, there's a natural adjustment period. You know, there's, like, a, um, you know, finding your feet. I honestly think even for a 19, I guess you just turned 20, even for a 20-year-old, like, how much are you settling into something? This is, like, your first job. This is the first time you're away from home for that long. Like, he literally grew up in Kansas, went to Kansas. You know, like, so... All right, where did you grow up? Wichita? Is, is that Kansas? Something like That's that. Kansas. Yeah, sorry, I don't, I don't really know American geography like that. But, like, still, he's... This is such a new experience for him that I, I obviously am more than willing to give lots of grace to it. Uh, but long term, it is something I'm concerned about because it's one of those things where it's like you watch him warm up and stuff. He's not like consistent in warm ups either. Mm-hmm. It's not like he gets in the game and he can't find the space to release. Like he's just not making them. Yeah. So we'll have to give it a, a little bit of time, of course, but certainly worth monitoring because, like you said, yeah. all the like Eric said, all those little things he was doing early in the season that that stuff's nice but long term that doesn't get you on the floor if you don't have the shooting skill to demand minutes right like everything's like, built off this one thing right yeah. we've seen Svi Mihailuk here we've seen Matt Thomas here yeah, we've seen Malcolm Miller guys, here but... I, I'm I know yeah but like you gotta hit your shots if you're right. a shooter first For sure um okay Eric Kareen this Saturday on Sportsnet Plus uh, you can watch WWE Survivor Series. Your concern level that Intercontinental Champion Gunther is not taking the Miz seriously enough in their Intercontinental title match so I, my, I, I'm concerned for Gun, Gunther here. Yes. Um, look, I, I think there's going to be some near falls. Uh, the Miz <laughs> is a wily veteran, but uh, I'll say a 1.5. I, I, I think this isn't how uh, Gunther's reign is ending. Ah. Uh, uh, I like his moxie. Yeah, he that, is. Uh, uh, he is dominant. Um, he's also, you know, a kind of uh, he's a Raptor Z uh wrestler he is huge what? and doesn't do flippy stuff you know there's a I, I don't know how to transition back out of this one eric uh so we're just going to transition <laughs> awkwardly to uh the next raptors point which is that 
when OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Scotty Barnes are all on the floor, this team has been awesome. Even with the spacing concerns and things like that, that trio has a net rating of plus 16 when they're out there together. That's monstrous. It's one of the best among any three-man units in the league. Your concern level, Will, I'll start with you, that any combination that is not the three of them together has really struggled. The net rating when two of them and the other one's out is, is uh, sinks to plus one. So still positive, but barely. When only one of them's on the floor, it drops to minus 13. And when none of them on the floor, it's minus eight. And that includes a good chunk of garbage time. Your concern level that this trio, and we've talked so much about Scotty and Pascal and, and you know the potential awkwardness of that fit offensively. Um, when that trio's not out there together, the Raptors have really struggled. Yeah, I mean... For the most part, if I'm not mistaken, like the only time that those three guys really play together is with the starting lineup. Yep. Yeah. Um, and like they'll close together, you know, when sure, Scotty yes. Barnes is not stuck at the scorer's table. Yes. Oh, damn. Um, <laughs> yeah, like sometimes you might see Yak off the floor. You might put Gary in for spacing, things like that. But Or Precious, maybe if, he, if he's closing strong, which he has been recently. Um, but no, I mean, I think that that's a positive thing. That's something that Darko can manage. I mean, part of the issue is, well, not part of the issue, but part of when you want to play 10-man rotation is you are, li uh, like, limiting some of the opportunities for your best players to play together. You're mostly splitting them up so that you can cover some of those minutes and at least hopefully get by. Um, but the fact that they play well together is a really big sign for me. So, I mean, I want to keep that as a two, I guess. I guess the roster construction around them. But I am confident that Darko can find different pieces. I think... Uh, Jakob and Dennis definitely fits with those two. I'm confident that Gary can swap in for Jakob or Dennis uh, in, in that starting group um, in those transition lineups. I'm not saying that you should start him over Jakob. Uh, and then I'm also pretty happy with what Precious has been doing the last week or so to see that if he can get a chance to sort of play with more and more of that group. That's, that threesome is really solid. The thing mm -hmm. is, of course, you got to divide those minutes, and then you get to a point where it's like, all right, I don't know. But. So, Eric, let me let me kind of – twist this one a little bit. So I, I think Will's answer there was a good one. It's obviously a positive that those three guys play so well together. Um, I guess your concern then that the other two starters have not been able to boost up those bench units. So even if it's just one of OG, Pascal, or Scotty, so those Scotty and bench or Pascal and bench, we haven't really seen OG and bench other than that one game where him and Jakob played out there together. But even if those individuals get one of Dennis or Jakob, that hasn't helped. They're still getting rolled a little bit. Basically, Schroeder and Pirtle, while they've been really solid with the starters, have not been able to, even as steady vets, help those bench or transitional units. And this is how I would took that question first. Like, this question isn't actually about those three players. Right, it's about everyone else. Is ab it's about everyone else. It's about their long-term depth. And so, like, I actually, like, it's actually as close to a five as I could get without uh, being, you know, five is sort of on this mythical end of the scale that doesn't really exist. Uh, but yeah, it's a big problem. It's a big problem because all three of those guys, you know, we know the con contractual situation with them. We don't have to make everything a conversation about what's to come, but, you know, considering this team probably isn't going to win the title this year, it becomes bigger than it, it does for a contending team, certainly. Um, but the hard thing about navigating all of this is you still don't really know what you have around these guys. Um, and, you know, like I, you, you alluded to my story about Jakob Pertl, like the fit hasn't been as good this year as it seemed last year. And while I think Pertl can play at a higher level, uh, his rim protection numbers are actually up. He's been a more effective rim protector this year. Uh, 
almost all of the issues have been offensive uh, or on the offensive end, I should say. And Schroeder, like he's just, you know, you could sort of see that coming, like his strength and, and his lack of, you know, real floor spacing was always going to be a hindrance next to these guys um, or, or something, something that holds them back a little bit. So, and that's to say nothing, nothing of the depth. And, you know, it would be great if Precious, you know, the, such a wild card on this <laughs> roster, yep. if he pop, if he pops and he, like, I think we would probably agree that he is like the youngish player most likely to really pop this season um, it opens up so many potential avenues for right. the team moving forward. And the injuries, I don't know how this became a question about Precious Achua, but here we are. Um, but the injuries and just some of the inconsistent play beyond that, it just really makes it difficult to map up, map out a rotation because Precious, you know, he, he's played almost exclusively as a center. And they do very different things when he's on the floor versus when Pirtle's on the floor. Uh, and yet, you can move him off away from center if, uh, and have him kind of replace a bit of what all of those guys do defensively more so than offensively. But he has a bit of offensive bounce to his game, especially on when he decides to drive quickly. Um, so I'm really concerned, uh, not so much, again, for this year's team, uh, because... I've sort of come to terms and I like my expectations are middling and what's happening is sort of more or less what I thought would play out. But as you try and paint a picture of where this is going, that's when that statistic becomes really, really troubling. Yeah. I, I do wonder, um, out of all the rest of the guys, putting aside those three main pieces, it feels like Dennis and Jakob have the closest thing as it comes to like providing structure um, as a two-man game. I don't think the rest of the team really provides like structure where you can play out of a play like that. So is there a way for Darko to essentially make those two the first two substitutes off the from the starting five and then bring them back in to start second quarters and like run that pick and roll, at least as a centralizing, organizing action that could, you know, hopefully, I, I guess, buy them some minutes while some of their main guys aren't playing together. My guess would be that, first of all, uh, Yak and Dennis have only played three minutes total as, like, Yak, Dennis, and bench guys. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was trying to ask yeah, this question. It's, yeah, it's, they've barely seen it. I think their issue would probably be twofold. One is, like, you know, does that take away too much of the fact that the starting lineup's been pretty good? Mm, uh, but okay. also, like, they have clearly, even though it's it hasn't worked yet in terms of actual results, prioritized Scotty getting reps in those Scotty bench units. Okay. Um, right. they, it has been like since early in the preseason, Scotty's the first starter to come off yeah, the floor. Yeah, and then he comes back in pretty early. And then he even sometimes comes back out again in the second quarter to kind of, you know, make sure the minutes are, are managed and yeah. things like that. I, I think it's been a pretty clear priority for them to get those, get Scotty those reps okay. initiating well, bench units. And, and I don't know that they'd be willing to trade that off for something that short term might work better. That's fair. That's fair. And that, that does speak to um, the Raptors satisfying two incentives rather than just one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, Eric. Um, concern index with, and I'm going to phrase this, phrase this one carefully because I think, you know, it's it's not, a, it's much, much too early. But Darko Ryakovich has been a, a positive leader, good messaging, good spirit, things like that. couple times there have been some micro things that were there was room to quibble on, including that game on Friday with the you know Pascal Siakam foul handling, the Scotty Barnes substitution in late, 
you know, some rotation questions generally. Um, your concern level with, you know, the the learning curve for Darko Ryakovic. And we're, we're doing this as part of the bit, not because we're actually concerned. It's certainly much too early big picture. Yeah, like 1.7. Okay. Um, I, I, Two significant I, digits, Eric. We, we Come on, we got to be consistent on that. 1.73. There we go. Um, it's just, like, I wasn't even that bothered. Like, yes, like, Scotty should have been back in the game. But the Pascal thing actually bothered me a bit more. And I actually might have, like, the, the thing I might have quibbled with is getting Pascal back in the game with three fouls. And in the second quarter of a, of a play-in, uh, sorry, I will call the in-season tournament the play-in tournament until You and everyone else. Um, yeah, um. I think you could have made a, a big case for that, especially as, you know, you saw it's weird because they got down 16, partly because Pascal was out of the game, but then they made a comeback because Pascal was able to play without foul trouble. So, you know, I, I guess the, the result is like that the right thing happened and the Raptors should have lost that game by three points. But, uh, um, but that in the moment, that was sort of the thing I quibbled with more than than the Scotty situation because that group was sort of, you know, Precious was playing pretty well, and um, I wouldn't necessarily be in the business of burning timeouts on this on this team. They when did need both of them. Is, yeah, when late game execution is going to be problematic, probably. So, uh, like, I'm not going to kill him for that. I just haven't seen enough beyond that to really say oh this guy doesn't have the chops late in late in game like i maybe other people are compiling lists i think he's been more or less fine yeah i'm gonna give this a, a hard 1.00 um <laughs> i feels like everyone really loves darko and i think that was my biggest thing yeah. like big picture wise i think he's actually nailing it uh, like small i mean i know this is all about the micro decisions but i think overall he, he's been really good yeah look they just said a uh, franchise record in assists the other day, right? Like if that doesn't tell, and yes, it's the Pistons, it, yeah, but yeah, sure, there sure. have been enough times in the history of this franchise where they have played teams like the Pistons and not gotten 44 assists. So, um, you know, as an indicator of, you know, buy-in and trying mm -hmm. to run the system against a, a weaker defense and stuff. Again, this one's included. I figured both of your answers would be in the one to 1.7, yeah. three, zero, four range. Um, How dare you try to get us to fire Darko Blake? Yeah. How dare you? Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. I mean, it's a thing. It's a thing where, like, for a team in this range, not quite rebuilding, but you know, with with limited expectations, the big picture stuff is way more important than the yes. little than the smaller things. And when the smaller stuff becomes more important, we'll be able to tell whether he is great or just adequate at that those parts of the job and assuming he has a roster and we don't have to answer all those questions with well given the roster constraints dot, yeah dot, yeah dot. but i yeah no i mean like with any coach not yes. so so much him um so i think it's just unless he was like screwing up every game like i don't think it's a major thing to to even think about at this stage Nope, but you got to build this segment with ones and fours <laughs> on the on the scale. It's not a very good segment if all the answers are two point five. You know, it's what happens. It's yeah. part of the name of Raptors reasonless. Like, yeah, I think I would expect two point fives for the for the reasonless. Yeah, uh, no, that's yeah that that's the SSRI scale. Oh, very good. Uh, Eric, last one for you quickly before we let you go here. Um, your concern level that uh, last night. 
Cody Rhodes named Randy Orton the last member of his team for Survivor Series War Games. And uh, Randy Orton has a, he was put on the shelf by another member of that team, Jey Uso. Um, I don't know if this is going to go well for everybody. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think, I think Seth Rollins' next challenger is coming from the face group uh, in the Survivor Series. And, um, you know, he seems like he's just an odd character to trust after yeah. a long layoff uh that, that's what i'll say so from yeah from a face uh fr from the good guys perspective and especially our guy sammy Zayn, um <laughs> you know 4.96 yeah it's pretty high uh i almost had to do a concern index of the fact that we're over a month into the show and i still don't know where the camera is to put up a number um but uh <laughs> we can we can survive survivor series on where's the hard camera yeah survivor series on sports plus this weekend by the way uh eric green of the athletic thanks so much for taking the time out buddy great chatting with you guys be well eric green of the athletic formerly of raptors reasonableists oh, i love wrestling like that this is nice i, I like just it. like to sprinkle it in look we're, yeah. we're a wwe partner here at SportsCenter, and, yeah, and yeah, sure. we gotta we gotta push that stuff uh yeah we gotta give away golden tickets will lou wonka and uh <laughs> that's right come yeah. on down no, yeah. do not come on down all right we will not be opening the doors for anybody sorry to be very clear um, i did see one thing here because i know we have like two minutes here yeah. but um what's what's your concern index on this point right here where siakam's best offense coming outside of quote unquote the system even if he is a really good passer from the post yeah so i mean this is the discussion on twitter or youtube or whatever every time pascal has a pretty good game from the post and his comments after friday's game um you know when we kind of asked him about that and said yeah that well the numbers back up that it's been pretty effective my concern level is low with this one i would say like yeah. a two like yeah. it, obviously it would be great if everyone's offense was coming within the flow of things but like scotty's best offense has often come from either him taking guys into the post or operating pick, standard pick and roll right yeah. like no team runs the same offense for 48 minutes um in pascal's case if he was you know if they were completely clearing out forcing a post entry emptying out one side and he went to work and turned it over a bunch or shot poorly like I, I would be more concerned, but it has on a points per possession basis, including when he passes out of the post, mm. been one of their most effective plays. So yeah. um, I think as long as this team and this franchise prioritizes some level of winning alongside the development, the concern level there is, is pretty low. Now, the uh, long-term question of, well, is Pascal part of this or not? My concern level is higher by the day because the closer you get to the trade deadline, the closer that gets to a five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well... I don't know. Part of my concern is like, if if the best play that you have is outside of the system, I, I might have some concerns about the system. Uh, but you know, that's uh, we'll, we'll see on the, how the, how that goes. Honestly, I, I do appreciate Look, man, that they have a vision. Yeah, like I do appreciate that they have a vision. That's all I'm saying. But yeah, and it's all it's it important. It's ironic. important foundational stuff, and it's yeah. stuff you want everyone to be able to do and buy into and execute. And like I said, you know, there are in the the pass numbers, the assist numbers, even though the offense hasn't been very good yet. Those things all suggest yes, they're they're learning, they're picking it up, they're they're committed to it. Yeah. That's the most important thing. But I think you know the way I framed it, kind of in, in my piece when I wrote up Pascal's yeah. post up stuff is, you know, plays like that, plays like Scotty clearing out for a standard pick and roll so he can get a switch and attack. Those are the things that can, if you're trying to develop long term and win short term, those are the kind of plays that can maybe bridge those two ideas for now. Right. Okay, we're going to take our last break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The 
most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Ben Lou. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. And uh, it's time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Brett Rivers. Take a chance. Uh, Blake, what's what, what's it looking like tonight? The Raptors are one-and-a-half-point underdogs at the Orlando Magic, mm. over-under set at 215.5. Some relevant background info here. The Raptors will be without Thad Young, who's still uh, dealing with an illness. Uh, Christian Coloco, of course, and all of their two ways are still with the 905. On the Magic side, uh, Wendell Carter Jr. and Markel Fultz are out. And a couple guys who aren't in the rotation are down with the uh, Osceola Magic or Osceola. I don't know the way you pronounce that city's name. but mm. Is that is that really where they're at now? Yeah. They, okay. they changed their name from Lakeland. Lakeland was a lot easier to say. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's Osceola or Osceola. Anyway. Areola, whatever. Yeah. That's the that's the French goalkeeper. Um <laughs> Actually, though, but yeah, I mean, look, listen, as we have talked about throughout the show, like we have very similar teams, very similar strengths and weaknesses. And so what you're going to see is a probably a defensive matchup, right? Um, Certainly. Yeah. So the Raps are 24th in overall offense, mm-hmm. 29th in half court offense. Uh, the Magic are 25th in offense, 27th in half court offense. So two bottom seven offenses overall, two bottom five half-court offenses, and two top-ten defenses. The Magic are ranked third in defense, and the Raptors are seventh right now. So two teams that have done a really good job defensively. Um, The one area there's maybe an edge for the Raptors, despite having a a lesser record, is the Raptors are really good both ways in transition. The Magic have not turned all these turnovers and defensive rebounds into transition buckets at all. Raptors get about seven fast-break points more per game, Mm. even though the Magic get more defensive rebounds and turnovers. Interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I did watching on the film. I did see Jalen Suggs missing a lot of transition opportunities. Yeah. But he's also like playing at 150 miles per hour at all times. Yeah, he's he really watched the Pacers game where he was on Tyrese for, for chunks of yeah. and stuff. Yeah, he's, yeah. Suggs is still really good defensively. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, it just, I don't know, man. Are you Alex Caruso, which is still a really good piece, yeah. but... You know, maybe you're the number five. Are you the number five pick on Alex Crusoe? I, I think that was the the comparison Skeets used yesterday. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't mind that. I actually don't mind that. Um, everyone's got to play a bit of a role. I think you like once you get into the league, it doesn't really matter where you were picked. Right, you just find something that you do well. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting that the, you know he's quickly bought into being a role player, being able to play a specific role. Um, I think w- what's interesting too is like watching this team, like you know. Um, they're going to both need to find ways to score on each other because both teams have really good rim protection. Both teams have really good wing forwards who can like, you know, uh, guard the other, uh, other teams wing forwards. We've mostly seen Pascal only score around the basket. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious in terms of this matchup, how do you think Pascal should look at the attack? Orlando? Yeah, it, it, it'll depend a little bit who they stick on them. Um, and, you know, Gogo Pataze is not the league's best rim protector, but they've done a pretty no, good job so defensively he's yeah. when he's out there. Yeah, he's averaging a block and a half a game. Uh, the Magic are kind of the inverse of the Raptors where uh, the Magic allow teams to get into the paint a little bit more, but they defend at the rim way better. And what that opens up is those kind of floater range shots, those Dennis Schroeder push shots, Jakob mm-hmm. Pertl catch on the roll and immediately yeah. push shot, the Gary Trent elbow stuff that's been available to him so often, that's there against the Magic because they're prioritizing the rim. Whereas the Raptors, you know, they do a little bit better of a job keeping you away from the rim, mm-hmm. but they don't protect the rim as well when you get there. So that's something I, I think if Pascal goes in there looking for more of that 
you know, six to 12 foot range stuff. That's going to be there for him a little bit more than the stuff at the rim. Um, the other thing is, and this will apply to Scotty too, but we haven't seen Scotty struggle with size to throw at Pascal. Like he, if it was sure. one-on-one cleared out, like he can beat Paolo, but Paolo's also six foot 10. And like, he's not good defensively yet, but when you're that big, you're at least doing something with your size. And they bring Jonathan Isaac off the bench who like he, he can't, do anything offensively anymore, mm. but he is still like an all-world defender. He's really, yeah, yeah. really good he defensively, mm-hmm. and I'd imagine when he comes in, he'll probably actually see Scotty more early on because probably, Isaac comes the off the player. bench and Scotty yeah. will be running those bench units. Um, but he's someone to watch out for as well. I do think Pascal, given what he's struggled against mm-hmm. offensively at times, this is a bit of a tough matchup for him. Yeah, I think because of those reasons, for me, the key player here might be Dennis Schroeder. Like, I think offensively, where the Raptors may have an edge over what Orlando does is the fact that Dennis is better than those guards that they have there. That's not to say that, you know, Cole Anthony can't come in and do a good job. Or yeah. I mean, they're starting Jaylen backcourt, Sizemore. though, averages 4.2 assists total Yikes. between Anthony wow. Black and Jalen A whole Shelvin Mack? Yeah. Like Orlando they they average 17 heritage? points and 4.2 assists as, yeah. as a duo. Yeah. This is going to be tough. I think I will probably, like, I'm always going to lean towards Raptors, but I do think the Raptors are a slightly better team than Orlando, even though with Orlando having a better record than the Raptors so far. Um, but I will take the under. Like, I actually will see this game being kind of, you know, um, difficult, uh, groggy of a game. Um, it's probably going to come down to things like, you know, which team can limit their turnovers as well and also which team can, uh, you know, secure the defensive rebounds too. And so. the Orlando Magic do lead the league in forcing turnovers. So the Raptors have to be yeah. extra extra careful. Uh, that was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Uh, Will, here's a question for you. Um, given Orlando's lack of shooting, so one, they're one of only, the only teams in the league shooting worse on threes than the Raptors, 33.0% to Toronto's 33.6%. I know that the Raptors have scaled back their level of aggression with traps and things like that. Against a team that struggles so much to shoot the three, and that'll have the ball in the hands of a guy like Paolo Bancaro uh, a lot more. And, and like we said, those two, the starting backcourt of Anthony Black and Jalen Suggs have just not been huge offensive threats. Is tonight a night where you might dust off some of what they did well last year and, and be a little bit more aggressive getting the ball away from Paolo and Franz? Um, No, I think for me, the key should just be like the Raptors need to make sure we always have help at the rim. Mm-hmm. Not that these guys always get to the rim, but I do think that, you know, you'll live with mid-range looks from both those guys. Um, you'll definitely live with it uh, if they want to bomb away from three. I mean, who knows? Maybe they get hot or not, but the, obviously the numbers are pretty poor, as you mentioned. Um, but, yeah, just make sure you, you have, obviously, help at the rim at all times. The Raptors have been on and off sometimes. You know, sometimes they really come to play, and sometimes they wait till the fourth quarter to, to try to make a huge comeback. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think for me that the priority should be to protect the rim. That's why it's going to be a huge game for Jakob as well. Um but, I mean, look, listen, this Orlando team is kind of unpredictable right now. Mm-hmm. Like, they have – they're playing a lot of guys that – like, I don't think a lot of people would have expected Goga Bataze to play, like, starting they're, level they're minutes. They're confident right now, too. Like, that, yeah, that yeah, yeah. win against the Pacers, I know they had beat the Bulls in two consecutive games. So, they're on a three-game winning streak yeah. here, including one in the in-season tournament. Like, maybe where the Bulls are, does it, it doesn't mean anything to you. But that was a Pacers team that is third in the league in offense – and was like maybe the most fun, most exciting team coming in that game. Mm-hmm. And I know it was high scoring, but that was mostly because of the pace it was played at. That yeah. was almost the worst night Indiana's had all season offensively. Like Orlando yeah. really frustrated them. Yeah, and and that's a that's a huge testament to them because you know Indiana is an amazing offensive team in general. Real quickly before we go, because they have so many of these prospects that they've accumulated over the years outside of Paulo and Franz, who everyone knows about already. Um, 
Who's your favorite? Like, who's your third favorite Orlando Magic? Yeah, I, I want to say Caleb Houston for the Canadian element, but oh, he's, okay. he's really not yeah, playing much, not playing even much, though man. they could use that uh, that shooting. I'd probably say Anthony Black. Okay. I just think, yeah. you know, I, I don't think he's, I don't know if he's a point guard long term, but he's six foot seven and, and uses that length really well. Obviously has enough point guard skill to have been drafted as a guard. Um, probably shouldn't be starting yet. And, and that's more about the Malcolm Fultz injury, but I, I like his, uh, his long term outlook. Yeah. He, uh, in addition to looking like a Nickelodeon star, uh, he, he also is a, a really, really electric prospect. Uh, I loved his uh, athletic metrics going to the draft. But anyway, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. So subscribe and please re-interview the show. Thanks once again to Jesse Murmers, Eric Kareen, producer and co-host Alex Wong, Blake Murphy, board producer Derek Brandale, Jane Wilson, Davis Sis, Jared Manitad for helping plan the scenes. We'll talk to you tomorrow.